Welcome to the Friday subscribers only edition of the Hub Dialogues, the podcast of the Hub, Canada's leading source for insight and analysis into the big issues and ideas driving the public conversation. On these special Friday only broadcasts, we're going to be convening Sean Spear, our editor at large, and Stuart Thompson, our editor in chief, for a conversation with me, Rudyard Griffiths about the big stories and issues that have animated the public conversation over the last seven days. Our goal is to leave you with some new analysis and insights and hopefully some new perspectives on the big issues of our time. So pull up a chair right now and join Sean Spear, Stuart Thompson, and myself for the Friday subscriber-only edition of the Hub Dialogues. Sean, Stuart, great to have you on the podcast this week. Great to be here. Good to be with you guys. Well, I was thinking back, you know, we started this podcast um, a month and change ago. Uh, I was worrying a little bit. I think, oh, wow, is this going to be a bit forced? Like we're going to try to talk about conservative politics in Canada every week because we think it's just genuinely interesting in terms of the future trajectory and direction of uh, the country's politics and some of the policy issues being raised. And I thought, whoa, you know, is this going to be like pounding a, a round peg into a square hole? Or maybe that goes the other way around. But regardless, we have had like a buffet, a rich, hearty buffet of conservative news, controversy, developments, event, events in the country. And I want to start with you, Stuart. You are in Calgary. The Hub sent you out there this week to uh, cover Jason Kenney's leadership vote. You've had some great reporting uh, filing on our per diem newsletter and on the hub website, detailing the twists and turns of this unexpected resignation on the part of Kenny. That's all in the kind of rear view mirror. I want to hear from you now. Uh, we're recording this on Friday. What's the mood like on the ground? And more importantly, what are the political machinations that are going on in Alberta at this moment as, uh, a new leader? Uh, a new leadership is is all put into play, put into contention. Yeah, so right now, um, you know, we're kind of looking ahead to who might replace Jason Kenney. It's being confirmed. Yesterday, they had a, a very, very long caucus meeting. I had kind of considered going and waiting outside of that, like all the other reporters, and pretty glad I didn't spend seven hours of my day <laughs> doing that. Um, but what the result of that was is that Jason Kenney is going to stay on um, almost as like an interim until they get a new leader. Um, for the UCP. And, you know, that means also premier of Alberta. Um, but that also means they are going into an election, which has to be called at the end of May next year. So um, that is a very short timeline for this party to get its stuff together. And everything that you can see from being in Calgary and being at these events, um, they do not have their stuff together. Um, there is a major split in the party. Um, and I think, you know, when Kenny spoke on Wednesday, um, he seemed to be sort of hoping that when he left, that would be the cue to start healing this. Um, that's something that remains to be seen. We're gonna have uh, Danielle Smith uh, running in the race, um, former Wild Rose leader, Brian Jean, also former Wild Rose leader, um, who you know was part of the whole process of merging the parties and lost a leadership race to Jason Kenney. Uh, they'll be running and then probably some establishment person will come in. Uh, there's a lot of talk around here about Travis Taves, the finance minister, 
um, Doug Schweitzer, who is sort of a, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare call him a red Tory, but he's, you know, one of the more moderate um, people in the party. So uh, that is sort of the question is who will be the new leader and will they be able to stop all this uh, infighting that's going on? What I love about the hub and you two guys is we, you know, with Stuart on the ground there in Calgary, we're getting the nitty and gritty, but we also got Sean Spear who wrote a piece that really popped um, in the immediate aftermath of Kenny's resignation, just uh, a bit of a, a creed occur, I'll call it that, Sean, uh, about the state of conservatism and what Kenny's resignation, his kind of exit from politics in Canada, at least for the foreseeable future, what that means for the movement. Can you unpack your key arguments for me? Because uh, that piece really resonated with me. It captured certainly a lot of my concerns and worries about the direction of this movement at this moment. Yeah, thanks, Rudyard. One of the one of the great parts of being involved in the hub is um, you know we're able to respond to these issues in real time, and uh, that comes with some risks. <laughs> um, but in this case, I, I think it was uh, to to our benefit. And you know, Stuart just outlined some of the different candidates who may put their names forward. Um, to replace Jason Kinney, but it seems to be at a kind of fundamental level. The question is, is anyone capable of bringing these different factions together? Um, you know, it, it, Kenny's departure doesn't change the fact that there is a small yet spirited minority of grassroots conservatives who aren't really interested in conservative policies. Um, they're, they're really interested in um, a, a kind of a, a candidate or a leader who's going to um, fight. Um, and you know, the target of that fight differs in some cases. You know, it may be the Bank of Canada. It may be um, provincial health uh, bureaucrat bureaucracies. It may be, um, you know, university presidents and, and left-wing university faculty. Um, but, you know, I think Kenny thought that he could bring these various factions together by walking this careful line between, on one hand, advancing a small C conservative policy agenda, and on the other hand, trying to bring voice to that kind of agitation. And he, he focused most of it, uh, of course, on Justin Trudeau and the, the government in Ottawa on this notion of so-called fair deal for Alberta. But the fact that Jason Kenney, who's a pretty skilled politician, couldn't walk this careful line um, suggests that there may not be anyone in the country who's able to, that there's just this kind of deep-seated grievance politics mm -hmm. occurring on the right. Um, Sean, let me, let me just play back a quote for you from the article. Again, you readers, listeners can get the article right now on the Hub. It's entitled, Sean Spear, a lament for conservatism. There's one particular line here that really resonated me. You, you said that, in a sense, after this, this event, that the conservative movement in Canada is, and I'm paraphrasing here, but is evidencing a siege mentality that's more reactionary than it is conservative. These people, I'm quoting you here, aren't interested in incremental policy reforms. They're looking for a fight. And then here's a line that just, wow, rang the bell for me. Quote, they want to toss a hand grenade into the cathedral of our mainstream institutions. Uh, that's, yeah, you know, that quote I've actually heard spoken before. Um, that's not just a kind of flowery language. That is representative, I think, of this, 
grievance politics that we're seeing. And so, you know, the question, not just before the next leader of the UCP, but anyone who aspires to lead a, a conservative party in Canada um, needs to ask him or herself, what are they going to do um, to kind of channel that negative energy in a, in a positive direction? And I don't know, guys. The reason why I called it lament is because, as I said, if Jason Kennedy, Jason Kennedy is not capable of doing it, I'm really not sure who out there is. Stuart, let me come to you because we, we've had some feedback on Sean's piece uh, from, you know, listeners in Alberta who I think have tapped into something saying, look, you know, you guys in central Canada, you might have a little buyer's regret in terms of Doug Ford. And I could not agree more. I think the you know, people with a, a truly small C conservative kind of orientation, especially people who want more fiscal probity and an actual plan, an agenda for government to increase productivity, uh, you know, to, to grow a society in Ontario that can sustain the generous social programs that we want, just have to be deeply disappointed with the, the populism that's now imbuing uh, the Ford administration. Um, but to come to you, Stuart, you know, what is the Alberta perspective on this? Because people are saying to us, reading Sean's piece from Alberta, you know, Kenny was unpopular. He, he had a, you know, a, a way of governing that many people saw as arrogant, um, that saw uh, a mishandling of various key moments of the pandemic. Uh, now, I'll just editorialize one moment longer. What's to be fascinating is that Ford did all those exact same things too. He had huge, you know, uh, F-ups during uh, the pandemic on all range of pandemic responses. Uh, he has hardly had an accident-free government, yet he seems to be cruising towards a majority, yet Kenny's out on the curb. Yeah, this is, um, I, so I lived in Alberta for eight years. I worked for the Edmonton Journal and I worked out in rural Alberta uh, outside Whitecourt. Um, which is in the northwest of the province. And I, I, I definitely don't think people in central Canada understand the Alberta mentality, the, the type of conservatism that is out here. It is, you know, as Sean said, the, the libertarianism and the populism, at times it can be almost in a, like a philo philosophical sense, anti-conservative, because if you're a libertarian, you're extremely individualistic. Um, you know, it's, it's very much like every man for himself kind of mentality. Populism is more about grassroots direct democracy, which can go the other way from a sort of Burkean conservative. It's just so different. And um, the thing that Ford did on the pandemic, which drove me absolutely nuts because much of it was anti-scientific and much of it was pandering to special interest groups is he leaned into the measures. He went as far as he could. We had probably the most shut down jurisdiction in North America. Um, you know, my daughter was home from school all of last spring because of this for no real yeah. discernible reason. Yeah. Um, Kenny couldn't do that. Kenny had a really rowdy, um, strong faction, a rural faction, but also just a conservative faction who wouldn't allow that. And also, you know, people in Alberta will tell you, and I think it's right, is that he started off unpopular before the pandemic started too. And I think that, you know, talking to Kenny's people, this was something of a strategic a decision that went awry because of COVID. So they made a lot of really hard political decisions to fulfill campaign promises early on. Um, this was like budget cuts, going after the doctors and trying to get their wages lowered, going after nurses. They did a lot of, you know, if you're a fiscal conservative, they did a lot of good work on the budget, but they angered everyone in the province in the process. 
their idea was we do this in the first year, maybe the first two years, and then we regain that political goodwill over the final two years when the economy is back in shape. COVID blasted that uh, timeline, and I think that's where we are. Can I put something to the two of you guys? Maybe, Rudyard, I'll have you respond first, and then, uh, Stuart, um, this week in the New York Times, Ross Douthit, the, the, the columnist, um, wrote about the state of Republican politics. And this particular passage resonated with me in the sense that it, it, it sort of seemed to describe something that Pierre Polyev is trying to do in terms of walking that line that I described earlier between kind of advancing a genuine small C conservative set of policies on one hand, and on the other hand, speaking to this inherent kind of grievance politics that we find uh, among some uh, uh, on the right. And Dothit wrote the following, the Republican Party at the moment does have a provisional model for channel- channeling, but also restraining populism. Essentially, it involves leaning into culture war controversy and rhetorical pugilism to a degree that it provokes constant liberal outrage and using that outrage to reassure populist voters that you're on their side and they don't need to throw you over for a conspiracy theorist or a Jan 6 marcher. Um, This is the model in different styles and contexts of Glenn Youngkin and Ron DeSantis. And that passage, it seemed to me, as I say, captured something of the Polyev campaign that he's trying to... Uh, in effect, bring that model to canon. You see it in the fights that he's provoking on the firing the the Tiff Macklem and others. You know, is that model plausible in the Canadian context or does it, will it turn off so many kind of moderate centrist voters in parts of suburban Canada that it actually won't work here? Great, you know, great question, Sean, because I've been, you know, having this conversation with a bunch of people who are trying to figure out what happens kind of next with this with both what happened to Kenny and then how that reverberates through this uh, leadership race. And I think, I mean, my first observation is it's a Faustian bargain and you gotta be really, really careful um, about that game of footsie and what it it leads to. And we can think of, you know, the races in Ohio and what we saw with, uh, you know, someone who I think was highly respected in, a lot of conservative circles. The author of the best-selling book, uh, The Hillbilly Elegy, uh, I think I've got that right, um, and how you know he ended up uh, really in a in a position of having to adopt a series of increasingly extreme views uh, in order to end up securing uh, the Senate nomination. Uh, in that, you know, in that uh, highly contested race, uh, J.D. Vance uh, obviously is the person we're we're discussing here, and I think, you know, I, I think a that's a big risk, and then b the just Canada is such a regionalized country. I I really do think that we don't have the big channels, the big megaphones like Fox, and. Um, and the whole kind of ecosystem of QAnon and uh, the Trump machine and these big national platforms that homogenize and galvanize public opinion across uh, across the United States. I think in Canada, much more regionalized, and and that regionalism leads to an anxiety uh, about strong uh, what's euphemistically called strong leadership, what others might see as fringe ideas, uh, scary ideas, ideas that threaten, you know, a lot of those regional interests and priorities. So that's my take, but let me throw it to you, Stuart. I mean, 
it's an important question that Sean's asking here. You know, how does this play out into the Jason Kenney resignation into the races? You mentioned in your hub roundup uh, this week on the conservative leadership race that listeners can get right now on our website. Each Friday, uh, Stuart does a digest of the, the week that was, so you don't have to. You mentioned, interestingly, none of the candidates have weighed in, not a single comment on on this big event that went down in Alberta this week. Yeah, I mean, that is a sign there. Um, nobody wants to touch this. And um, the only people really weighing in with sort of you know sincere messages were retired politicians uh, like Christy Clark. And then even Christy Clark the next day uh, said that she got a lot of hate for her message of you know sincere sympathy for Jason Kenney. Um, so yeah, that tells a story. The other story I think here is that Kenny said in his speech, and I, I believe this from talking to his people and just seeing the reaction of his people at the event, um, it's hard to overstate how extraordinary that event was and um, what a strange and kind of weird feeling it was when uh, Kenny resigned. Um, but he said he didn't expect the results. He only got 51%. I think they were expecting over 60%. And that is... I think a sign of more organization among these resistance forces than they realized. Um, and you know, there's kind of a similarity here to the conservative leadership race, which is that it is also happening kind of in the darkness. We don't know what's going on with Patrick Brown. He might have thousands of people signed up. He might have 50 people signed up. Um, and then you have Polyev who's doing these big rallies. We've talked about on this podcast, are these people really going to vote? Are they actually going to sign up? Are they going to come to this rally and yell and scream and then go home and forget about it? Um, there could be a sign here that maybe there's more organization that's possible with these kind of resistance forces that are, you know, energetic about the pandemic, but also about, you know, maybe some um, sort of niche conservative issues, um, maybe the carbon tax in Ontario. Um, I, the new blue party is talking a lot about the industrial emitters carbon tax. You don't hear a lot about that in the mainstream media. Um, so I think there's something to watch out for there. Um, this is going to be really interesting because we're going to have most likely concurrent leadership races happening uh, with the UCP and with the Conservative Party. And, you know, there's an argument that this could be good for conservatives, small C and capital yeah. C conservatives in Canada. But there is also a, a, a real chance that this could be really terrible. The one thing I let thought, me, uh, guys, let, let ahead, me just squeeze me. in because hey, I'm the executive director and I'm always <laughs> obsessed about trying to get more people subscribing to the hub. So, you're going to hear right now a really short 40 second blurb about how you can sign up to get Stuart and Sean's amazing commentary, analysis, and insights every morning in your email box. And then we'll be right back. Rudyard Griffiths here, the executive director of The Hub. Thank you for listening to this, our Friday subscriber-only podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast and what The Hub is all about, providing insightful analysis and insights into the big issues and ideas facing Canada, all from a 100% Canadian perspective, please consider becoming a donor. You can do that right now at www.thehub.ca. Simply click on the button, Donate, We'll send you a charitable tax receipt and a whole bunch of great benefits that come with being a hub donor. Again, you can do that right now at www.thehub.ca. Thank you in advance for your generous contribution. Now back to our program. Hey guys, sorry about that. Somebody's got to pay the bills. Um, you guys talk, I'll worry about how to make that all happen. Uh, 
guys, uh, Sean, you wanted to weigh in and let's just spend, uh, I'm conscious of our time, just the last few minutes of the show talking about, you know, some of the developments in the leadership race. And I think most notably what kind of, I don't know, discombobulated me further was, uh, was Pierre Polyev's appearance on uh, Jordan Peterson's podcast. So Sean, spark off what you heard from Stuart before, and then I want your take on the risks and I don't know, the rewards of appearing on Jordan Peterson's podcast during a very controversial week for Mr. Peterson. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's fascinating is Pierre Polyev has not done a single interview to my knowledge with a traditional journalist. Um, his entire campaign thus far has been executed through a combination of big rallies and um, alternative media, including podcast episodes with Jordan Peterson. And, you know, what's fascinating, guys, is that kind of broadly similar to uh, Trump's communications, isn't it? That during the 2016 presidential election, yes, Trump was a frequent guest on Fox News, but he by and large skewed the kind of mainstream conventional media um, and used huge rallies to convey energy and momentum and then use social media uh, to get out his message to uh, his core voters. And it seems like Polyev is uh, attempting to execute a similar communication strategy through the duration of this campaign. Let me just say something really quick, though, guys. You know, one of the things I've thought about in the past 48 hours or so is, in hindsight, how implausible Aaron O'Toole's leadership was. I mean, talk about someone really just not... Um, well positioned for the moment, given his kind of moderate temperament and moderate politics. And this will kind of provoke some listeners, but I wonder if there is a sort of case that actually Polyev, if he can stay disciplined, if you're going back to the Dothet column, is he actually the kind of right person to, um, to channel yet restrain this kind of grievance politics that am I talking about? Or is it going to swallow him up just as oh, it did Jason Kenny. Sean, I think that's the big yeah. question, isn't it? Okay, I got to remember, I'm not the chair of the monk debates right now, which is my other day job, because I want to debate you on this, Sean. I mean, to me, the, the, the Jordan Peterson interview was exactly the wrong thing. What we talked about, you know, getting um, trapped, the, the Faustian bargain of these uh, alt-right forces. Remember, this is the week, guys, that Jordan Peterson you know, attacked in a pretty misogynistic way. Uh, Yumi Nu, the uh, the swimsuit uh, illustrated cover model. She's a, a plus size woman, and you know, this is a guy with a history of um, wow, strange, very strange personal behavior. You know, uh, unfortunately, had Jordan Peterson. It happens to the best of people, but had a drug dependency issue. A little bit strange when you seek drug treatment in Russia. Um, and that's your first choice uh, for your, your detox clinic uh, outside of Moscow. Interesting. Um, but more importantly, Stuart, let me come to you. I mean, appearing on that podcast with all of Peterson's baggage during a week where this guy who is known, you know, if you're a Peterson fan or not, you can look at the body of his work, a lot of misogynistic content in there. You're on his show, you're effectively endorsing him. And then you go further and you start using, you know, weird language like I speak Anglo-Saxon. Like, like, what is this, Stuart? Am I just, you know, am I freaking out here over, you know, molehills? Or 
is there just something that again, I just think, wow, like what is this campaign thinking? How does this translate to the broader electorate? How does it translate to my wife, you know, who hears about this and just has an instantaneously visceral reaction now, not only about Peterson, but now about Polyev, which she hadn't even been thinking about because she's not particularly uh, interested in, you know, this leadership race, but boy, it was on her radar this week. Yeah, I think this is a real question. I don't know the answer, but I, I do know the power of Jordan Peterson. I had a, when I was at the National Post, I had an editor who was a big lefty who would sometimes say, you know, all we need this week is a Jordan Peterson tweet and that'll really boost our traffic. And it was like, you know, if he tweeted your piece, you were, you were golden for the week. Um, he's got a massive audience and I can, I can understand, you call it a Faustian bargain, but I can understand the allure of that bargain if you're Pierre Polyev. Um, one thing I will note though, because you're right, this is a really dangerous game. And I think Kenny has been sort of unfairly accused of, you know, the, the left is, you know, very loud uh, in Alberta and they've accused him of being various things, you know, um, whatever you want to name. But um, I don't think he leans into this populism stuff. And I think he often did it um, quite consciously. I, the first thing I ever covered in Alberta with Kenny was an event. It just was a random um, donor event in uh, Edmonton. It was a progressive conservative and he was running for the leader of that party to merge them eventually. But there was a woman got up and said some horrific things about Muslims. Um, and Kenny cut her off and he went on a long kind of extemporaneous speech about the Muslim tradition in Alberta, which is, you know, Edmonton said the first ever uh, uh, Muslim cabinet minister and we had the first mosque in Canada in Edmonton. Um, it was clearly off the cuff and it was really, you know, he, he was really angry at her. Um, I can't imagine Pierre Polyev uh, doing that. I, I can't imagine Pierre Polyev risking being booed the way Jean Charest was at the debate. Um, he does have a tendency to say the popular thing. Um, so I, I think that, you know, Sean is right. I've always believed that if there are these sentiments in your country, um, not everyone is sort of uh, deplorable. Some people are mad at the pandemic and maybe you know they're not really news readers. They have some weird conspiracy theory beliefs or some people just are low information people um, who can be sort of corralled into a broader political movement. Um, so I think you should talk to these people. But Kenny told me about that moment in that, um, with that lady in, the, in, in Edmonton that it's so important how you talk about it. It's so important what you allow it to be said around you. Um, and I think he thought about this a lot. And I don't know Pierre Polyev. I don't know if he's um, I don't know if he's thinking about this or if he cares about it. But uh, it's one of the things I think he should be thinking about. Well, we have an interesting focus group of one right now on this show. Amal, our producer, is uh, you know in her twenties. She's a young woman who is looking uh, at this political race and is an outsider. And I think it's fascinating, Mal, to bring you in from time to time to this podcast to get your your views on this. And you know, this whole episode with Peterson and Polyev this week, Peterson's attack on this uh, plus size swimsuit uh, model in Sports Illustrated. Did that resonate with your peer group? Did that trickle down? I'd be curious to know. And then, be you know, what was what's your response? I mean. I would assume that as a younger woman, this is a pretty big turnoff, maybe more than a turnoff in terms of poly of campaign. You're now saying, well, why is this guy playing footsie? Why is he trucking and trading with the likes of 
Jordan Peterson, um, you know, I think, again, pretty close to a self-avowed misogynist in my view. I find the whole thing kind of comical. I'll be really honest. I was kind of laughing when I saw that tweet. I was just like, really? This is the thing you're going to rage about? But I think what was really interesting was he was raging at this one person. And I'm like, there's, so Sports Illustrated had other covers. So it's not only just um, her, it was also Kim Kardashian. It was someone else. I've totally forgot their name. So apologies on that. And also Elon Musk's mom. So she was also on the Sports Illustrated cover as well. So it's four, four, you have other options. And so you can just choose whichever cover you want and just go with it. It's kind of was very odd how he went against her. But what was really interesting was if you looked at his Twitter, a lot of his fans went against him. It was very interesting. And there was a lot of people who were pro Jordan Peterson and they tweeted saying, hey, like she's actually really pretty. I don't know why you were so mean spirited. A lot of people had a lot of backlash with Jordan Peterson. So that's like a separate issue. Regarding with Pierre Polyevre, um, I'm not entirely sure if it's going to actually impact his campaign or not. I mean- there's a lot of people who are saying like, look, not everyone is perfect. Um, you're not going to agree with everything with everyone 100% of the time. For him to be on such a big platform, if you look at Jordan Peterson's um, subscribers, it's like over the millions. So him being on there, while people will argue saying like, hey, it actually might be beneficial. Whether it's going to be beneficial in the long term, I'm not entirely sure. I think he's going to have to put a much more consistency and go into other platforms as well, not just only isolating himself to one sphere of yeah. the internet or one sphere of a group of people let me well, let me thanks. wait let me weigh in here uh, guys because I, I think there's a lot of insight there and, and in some ways it re- reflects the reason i called my essay a lament um you know i don't understand the instinct to um, be provoked and need to comment on the sports illustrated swimsuit model like that that's not conservative in my view conservatism respects the dignity of individuals, it's prudent, it's sort of temperamentally moderate. And I guess in a, in a way that tweet captures precisely why this I end this week in a sense of lament, um, that we need to kind of restore a spirit of conservatism in Canada that um, raises people up instead of tears them down and, um, and is motivated because our, our ideas are good and right, um, not because we, um, have the right set of enemies. And I guess, you know, in a way that tweet really gets at the heart of uh, what I was talking about in my piece. And, and hopefully uh, what we're trying to do at the hub, which is to bring uh, a degree of, of decency and debate and civility back to um, uh, public discourse in general and conservative ideas and, and debate in particular. Yeah, no, here, here, John. You know, there's just something. Man, I got Peterson fans aren't going to like this, but I, there's just something mean spirited about Peterson. I mean, I've moderated him in a debate. We did a monk debate on political correctness. You can check out on our website, monkdebates.com. I spent a bit of time with this guy. Um, he is an odd duck. And look, there should be a space for odd ducks in our in our culture. But there's also a history of of cruelty that he is engaged in, in terms of social media, how he injects himself into public uh, debate and discourse. And boy, if I was the poly campaign, I would just wanna keep my distance from, from that vibe because it's, it is, it's not simply negative, there's a toxicity 
uh, about it. And uh, wow, I just, let's just hope that that vibe never becomes part of our mainstream political culture like it has uh, obviously in the United States with the with the Trump campaign. Stuart, I want to give you the last word in today's uh, show. Um, what's coming up next week? Uh, what are we excited about uh, that's going to be appearing uh, in the hub? Yeah, we have a good piece from Patrick Luciani coming on the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, um, something we're trying to keep our eyes on here. Um, he's been doing book reviews for us, and this is another one, but it gets into current events. Um, one piece I think everyone should be looking out for is a piece by Ben Woodfinden that we have coming. Um, it's It gets into a lot of what we're talking about here, um, and it kind of just, there's a funny, um, I think, seed to this, which is that our populism, even our populism is very Canadian. It's Pierre Polyev talking about banks. Um, so I, I'm looking forward to that piece and that should be out early next week. First they come for the banks, then they yeah. come for... <laughs> <laughs> Not to joke about that, but seriously. Um, okay, guys, this has been a great podcast. Amal Adder-Guzman, our producer, thank you for playing along with us today. We always appreciate surprising you on the show. Uh, Sean Spear, Stuart Thompson, have a great weekend. We'll do this all again next Friday. Take care, guys. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to this special Friday edition of The Hub Dialogues for subscribers only. I hope you've enjoyed the program. If you have a comment or suggestion about the show, an issue, a topic, an idea that you'd like us to cover on our regular Friday subscriber-only Hub Dialogues, please send us an email to info at thehub.ca. Also, check out our website, www.thehub.ca, for tons of great analysis and insights about the big issues and ideas shaping our world and Canada's future. While you're there, if you'd like to, consider becoming a donor. We'd love to have your support. Simply click on the Donate button. We'll send you a charitable tax receipt get a whole series of great benefits and perks that come with being a hub donor. This edition and every edition of the Friday subscriber-only hub dialogues are produced by Ricky Gerwitz. I'm Rudyard Griffiths, the executive director of the hub. Talk to you again next Friday. Bye-bye.